the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and hour number two is now under nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much, very much for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's Thursday, 14th morning, 10th month, year of our Lord, 2021. Thank you again to Leilani Lutani, or Lutali, rather, uh, and uh, Jamie Fogner for sharing their incredible story out of Colorado. Don't forget, coming up at 1035, Representative Jamie Callender, Ohio State Representative, a Republican, wants to bring weed to Ohio. Uh, not medicinally, but recreationally. He made that, uh, submitted that bill for consideration this week, and he's going to explain to us why at 1035. I think you're going to want to hear this conversation. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to go as well as he thinks it is. My conversations with Dr. Everett Piper always go well. Let's bring uh, Dr. Piper back to our program. This is his regular spot to talk about all of the news of the day. Dr. Piper is a former university president. He's now a radio podcast host in Oklahoma. He is also a best-selling author, and he is a columnist for the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Hey, um... I'm going to just say one word with regard to the upcoming uh, interview you're going to do do on marijuana in Ohio. We just legalized it in Oklahoma a little over a year ago, and it is a complete, unmitigated disaster. I've spoken with the county sheriff in the county in which I reside, and he has told me that it has brought organized crime into rural Oklahoma to the extent that it's almost uncontrollable. So just a heads up, from my perspective, as somebody who's who's having to deal with it in the reddest of red states, the most conservative of conservative states in the Union, conservative Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma, in the Osage Hills and Osage County, organized crime has come in to the point where the sheriff is saying it's out of control. 
Now, if I may, just a quick follow-up on that, even though that's not one of our main topics, Dr. Piper, the argument from the pro-recreational marijuana side is that it actually decreases crime, that if you sell it legally, it takes the dealers and puts them out of play. Well, okay, so I was just meeting with a big rancher over on the west side of my county last week because I've announced that I'm running for county commissioner for my district. I went over to meet with one of the ranchers, and he was pointing out property along the way as we drove from his ranch to go grab a hamburger where the Chinese are coming in and buying property and putting up marijuana greenhouses to grow weed in Oklahoma. That is a problem in my view. Here's the second thing is, where are they going to get the water? They need, they need huge quantities of it. Who's going to pay for the social dysfunction that the overuse of marijuana will create? Who's going to cover the infrastructure, the health care needs, the counseling needs, etc.? There are a number of complications that come as a result of legalizing this. And in Oklahoma, it's only medicinal. We only legalized it medicinally, and we're still suffering with regard to over over. Excuse me, with regard to um, organized crime, the sheriff says that because they want property to grow this stuff on now, that you've got people from out of the country coming in from the Chinese to others who are growing it and transporting it along with other drugs. Because if he stops a semi with marijuana in it. The dog, the drug dog, can't tell between marijuana and cocaine that may be hidden underneath the bales of marijuana. It's a monstrous problem. I'm glad you uh, offered that. I'll try to keep some of that in mind when I interview the representative coming up later on in this hour. So, Dr. Piper, let's get to the point of our conversation. The first one is going to be a conversation that you and I had last week, and you'll recall, for those who don't, I'll play this again. This is uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, essentially uh, acknowledging that he is a communist, and he believes in communist principles, particularly as they pertain to fighting uh, public health emergencies. Listen. You have got to look at it and say there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society there's no doubt that that's the case now you were uh amazed by that uh and perhaps a little bit irked as i played that for you last week dr piper and you turned it into your column this week in the washington times tell us about that Actually, I did learn of this interview from you last week on on the show. I had not heard that uh, particular interview that he granted, granted to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So, as you know, I say in my column, in case you missed it, this is what Dr. Fauci, the grand and glorious high priest of scientism in our culture, just said. There comes a time where you have to give up your individual right of making your own decisions for the greater good of society. And as you pointed out last week, he essentially just echoed the very definition of communism. He essentially just parroted what the most ruthless tyrants in history have said about human freedom and the obligation that you have to give up that freedom for the greater good. And I'm just going to give you a couple quotes here. You can interrupt if you want. Here's one quote. This is from Karl Marx. History calls those men the greatest who have ennobled themselves by working for the common good. Here's one from Mao Zedong. A communist 
should have largeness of mind subordinating his personal interests to those of society. Sound like what Fauci just said? Absolutely. Here's another one. Fidel Castro. None of us has any personal interest above the interests of society. Our country is more important than ourselves. Again, that's Fidel Castro. Let's go to one of the most ruthless people in modern history, Pol Pot of Cambodia's Killing Fields. Here's his quote. If you have a disease of the old individualism, take a dose of linen as medication. If you wish to live exactly as you please, we will put aside a small piece of land for you. And you know what that land is? A grave. That's Pol Pot. How about Joseph Stalin? There is not, nor should there be, an irreconcilable difference between the individual and the collective, between the interests of the individual person and the interests of society. Adolf Hitler said, the state must act as the guardian in the face of which the wishes of and the selfishness of the individual must appear as nothing. One, one quote after another quote after another quote of history's greatest tyrant are saying the exact same thing as Dr. Fauci. And then, you know, I say in this article, you know, if Fauci is so concerned about a pandemic that's killing millions of people, to use his language, he might want to consider the fact that the very ideology, the ideological carcinogen that he is forcing upon the American people has killed 20-fold the number that COVID has killed. In other words, 100 million people have died at the hands of his ideology that he's promoting right now. You know, this little man's disease, this small man's disease, this little Napoleon that he pretends to be right now, he needs to recognize that history is loaded with such small men that want to rise up and do the work that a virus never thought of doing. You know, I, I love the fact that you featured all of those quotes from dictators and uh, totalitarian uh, regimes throughout history. And you're exactly right. It is kind of funny uh, to, to, to think about the number of them that have small man's disease. And I'm not picking on any of my short friends, by the way. I, I suppose some could see me as bullying right now because I'm six foot three. But, but, but you're right. It really is. It seems as though those who are a little bit less in stature try to make themselves a little bit larger uh, than life uh, through their actions, no matter who they have to step on to do it. You know, they, they prop themselves up on the shoulders of the, uh, of the weak and, uh, and try to make themselves it is kind of an amazing thing. Well, it's it's the arrogance of the individual, and frankly, whether he's short in stature or not, uh, it, it, the smallness of his personality, this desire to be in charge, to be in control. He could be five foot ten or six foot ten, but if he has this <laughs> in this inferiority complex where he has to put his foot on your neck to demonstrate that he's better than you, in other words, he has to stand on the dead bodies of history in order to elevate himself is exactly what the despots of history have done. And there's a great quote, you know, I ended the article by this, by quoting a, a Ludwig von Mises, who's a good guy in the mix here, and he says this, socialism is an alternative to freedom as potassium cyanide is an alternative to water. Fauci ought to do a little bit of reading here before he opens his mouth again. Very well said. We were talking about uh, individuals who seem to be a little bit um, lacking in their own self-esteem, that they have to prop themselves up, yet 
they display tendencies of narcissism, of self-love. Like, I am the most important authority, as you point out. Dr. Fauci considers himself to be the, uh, you know, the grand high priest of scientism. Uh, so it's kind of a weird blend that you have in, in, in some of these individuals. All right, Dr. Piper, let's move on to this one before the break, because I want to make sure we have time for the last one after the break here. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson in North Carolina is facing some heat for something that he wrote and then something that he said in defense of what he wrote about the LGBTQ community and LGBTQ pornographic, uh, and it really is pornographic sexual education being pushed in schools, in middle schools, high schools, and maybe even earlier than that. Here's what he said. I'm saying this now, and I've been saying it, and I don't care who likes it. Those issues have no place in a school. There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. And yes, I called it filth. And if you don't like it, then I called it filth. Come see me and I'll explain it to you. He is facing calls for his resignation because he, according to the way they are interpreting it, is calling people who are in the LGBT community filth. I don't see it that way. I know what he's talking about because it's about the promotion of such things in schools, particularly, again, in the graphic way that we have seen. What's your read? Uh, We all should call him and thank him. Um, Thank you. Thank you for saying it. This man has called a spade a spade. Why is it that we want to start pushing sexually explicit, sexually graphic material on our children in our schools? Again, I've said it on your show before. Please just teach my kid how to read. Please just teach him how to write. Teach him how to use correct pronouns. Teach him about American exceptionalism and that the Constitution is good and not bad. And maybe teach him a little bit of science, like biology is a fact and it's not a fabrication. And then just leave him alone. Stop trying to force-feed him your sexual propaganda and pornography, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. It has no place in the schools. And pornography, yes, the lieutenant governor is right. Pornography, by definition is morally filth, and he's right to call it that. Why do our children need to be taught about anal sex and oral sex? Why? Why should they even be having this conversation? Protect their innocence. Don't contaminate it, and don't sacrifice their childhood on the altar of this adult um, inability to keep our private lives private. I don't want to know what people are doing in their bedroom. I've said it before on your show probably months ago. If you want me to stay out of your bedroom, shut the door. Stop opening the door up and forcing me and my children to stand in the doorway to watch and applaud and affirm what you're doing. If you want your privacy, shut the stupid door and we wouldn't be having this conversation. Very well said, but that's not what they want. They want to keep the door open, and they want you to agree with what you see, and they want you to commend what you see as being liberating and free. Uh, and that, of course, is what Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, was speaking out about. All right, quick time out here. We'll come right back with uh, Dr. Everett Piper after this. The free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store.
Okay, 1024, I've got a few good minutes left now with Dr. Everett Piper here on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, you are obviously an evangelical Christian. You are not a Catholic, but I know you have thoughts on what Pope Francis, the head of the Catholic Church, had to say about resisting the temptation to fundamentalism. He was speaking to what appeared to be a joint, uh, I don't know, meeting, session, whatever you want to call it, with uh, a number of uh, other faith leaders, with Muslims, Jewish, Jew, uh, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindu representatives at this multi-faith uh, conference, I guess. And his statement was, for the sake of peace, let us diffuse the temptation to fundamentalism and every tendency to view a brother or a sister as an enemy. Um, you don't like how that sounds. Tell me why. Well, first of all, let me set the context. I always try to be very slow in criticizing another denomination within Christianity. I don't hesitate to critique other religions, like Islam or Buddhism or atheism, but I am slow to criticize or critique others within the Christian, uh, within the Church, capital C. So, I, I hope my Catholic friends, you included, throw me a bone here and give me a little bit of grace on this one. <laughs> okay. um, the Pope is saying that fundamentalism is bad, apparently. Fundamentalism is bad. Well, how so? I, I, the fundamentals of our faith should not be defended. The essentials of our creed should not be defended. The exclusivity, exclusivity of the Christian faith that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through him. I don't know what the Pope means when he says that we need to set aside our fundamentalism, because in the historical debate of fundamentalism versus evangelicalism, fundamentalism is defined as those who adhered to the twelve fundamentals of the Christian faith, which are essentially the creedal truths of Christianity. And the other thing I have a problem with here is the context in which the Pope said this. He said this at a conclave that's interfaith-related. There were Buddhists there, there were Muslims there, there were Sikhs there, there was the Greek Orthodox, there was the Catholic, there was a Lutheran there. So when you're implying that syncretism should win the day and that we're all kind of in a great big kumbaya hug, I have difficulty melding these particular religions together as if we're all worshiping the same God, because guess what? If you ask a good Muslim if we're worshiping the same God, he will say no. If you ask a Buddhist if we're worshiping the same definition of God, he will say no. So why aren't we on the other side of this debate, on the Church's side of this debate, willing to say, no, we differ very much when it comes to the fundamental definitions of who God is and what we need to do in confession and repentance before Him. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you did provide the context. Again, I did a very you know shallow job of that, just in the interest of time. But you, your your points are spot on. Um, and and to su- suggest that because in deference to people of other faiths, that we should be less than fully uh, invested in our own, uh, and that means the fundamental principles of our faith and our religion uh, is is I don't it's unbecoming in my opinion of a of a of a of a religious leader, much less the Pope uh, of the Catholic Church. Okay, last thing, Doctor Piper, I. I I sent this to you yesterday. 
the story of a Colorado woman who uh, is not vaccinated. She needs a life-saving kidney transplant. Uh, she has a donor who is also not vaccinated. It didn't matter. UC Health out, out in Colorado was going to do the procedure until they changed their rules. And now, in addition to staff being vaccinated, surgical patients must be vaccinated or they can't have their procedures, at least if they're transplant patients. So in the And by the way, here in Ohio, we have a very similar story. There's a, uh, a woman who needs a kidney transplant who is being denied that transplant, even though her daughter is a donor and a match, um, a, a liver transplant, uh, they are denying it by Cleveland Clinic unless they are vaccinated. So, Dr. Piper, can you explain to me, and you're a Ph.D., not an M.D., but this will work. Can you explain to me how this isn't a violation of the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm if they're going to allow people to die rather than get the life-saving uh, procedure they need, all in deference to public health? Yeah, it, it, it makes no sense. Your rhetorical question is spot on. And by asking that question, you're pointing out the lunacy and the hypocrisy of violating the Hippocratic Oath while you're claiming to take the high ground for human life. I mean, it's the constant postmodern upside down, good is evil, evil is good, black is white, white is black, uh, life is death and death is life. I mean, this is upside down in every way and the irony here is some of us such as myself and i you know i've talked to you before i've had COVID. my t-cell count is astronomical it should be zero to 50 if i hadn't had COVID. my count is 2450 so what's that mean i'm a walking vaccine i should be selling my blood because i am teflon so you're going to deny me the right and the privilege to provide a kidney to someone who needs a kidney transplant because I haven't been vaccinated. This is anti-science. It is immoral. It is anti-Hippocratic oath. And it is definitely hypocrisy for anybody who claims to be a scientist to be taking this position. You know, we often hear about the battle between science and religion. This violates both. you, You just said it. It's immoral. And it's anti-science. It makes no sense whatsoever. By the way, the patient in Colorado that I interviewed last hour is uh, also a COVID recoverer. She had COVID, which means she has the antibodies, which means she is a threat to no one or anything. And yet, they're willing to let her die because they say that people uh, who are transplant patients have their immune, uh, uh, um, immune, immunity systems compromised by drugs that they have to take post-transplant. And those things could kill them. We're going to let you die ahead of time because you might die later on because you don't have the vaccine. Uh, you just you just summarized the lunacy of the postmodern mind. Perfect. I, I'm just I don't, I don't get it, but uh, but we're doing our best, Doctor Piper. You help us with that each and every week. Thank you, good sir. I appreciate it. Blessing. Dr. Everett Piper, now 1032. Let's take our time out for news and come back and talk about weed in the Buckeye State. We're going to replace the Buckeye leaf with the marijuana leaf. We'll talk to a Republican state representative who wants to do that, kind of, coming up next. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. 
The Answer. And I guess the state of Ohio is where brain cells are going to go to die. Last time I checked, according to the medical research, particularly in youths, marijuana use leads to the death of brain cells at an exponential level, far, far, far more so than alcohol. But that's the goal here, is to legalize uh, recreational marijuana in the state of Ohio, a bill sponsored by two Republican representatives, Ron Ferguson of Wintersville and our next guest, uh, Representative Jamie Callender of Concord. Good morning, Jamie. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm nonplussed right now, to be quite honest with you, because I saw you on the news yesterday, uh, and uh, just a short story about your your sponsorship, and I said it must have a they must have the wrong name up there, and they must have the wrong party up there. I kind of expect this sort of bill from Democrats, and not necessarily from Republicans. Why do you want to legalize recreational weed in the state of Ohio, sir? Well, Bob, as you know, uh, there's a national movement um, with this happening. Uh, we've seen a wide range of states who have done it. It's in also a, wide a national range. movement for CRT, but that's not something I would imagine you would want to bring to Ohio. Popular in other states isn't a good reason to do something that's bad. I'm sorry, continue. Uh, well, no, it, no, it's not. But if something is moving forward and there is a ballot initiative that, that is um, started to push this here in Ohio, and we also have other states that have not legalized yet, where individual, primarily liberally run cities and counties, have simply decriminalized it. And you have these basically pot dealers going up and down the street selling this to anybody um, that would buy it. You have no idea what's in it. You have no idea who's buying it. You've got kids that can buy it. So we are introducing, and what we've introduced is what we're referring to as a responsible approach. So this is... um, our bill expands the medical program, which has done a, a good job here in Ohio of limiting access to those who actually qualify for access. So under our bill, unlike the other proposals where, you know, you might could buy it at a gas station or a truck stop or a convenience store like in other states where you're trusting the same people that are selling cigarettes and beer at these at these uh, convenience stores to, to make sure only folks over 21 get them. This bill keeps the distribution to uh, sites that are fairly highly regulated, the same medical sites that we have now. So while it does uh, allow adult recreational use, it is an adult recreational bill, it is really an expansion of the medical program. And and one of the thoughts Except is for the I, fact that it's not medically necessary now. This is just for anybody who likes to get high. And excuse me, but you when you... <laughs> When you say that this is only going to be available for adults and some of those other states, you know, kids can get it. You're telling me that you don't think kids are going to have more access to marijuana now, now that adults can legally purchase it and give it to them or sell it to them secondhand? I mean, at least before, an adult who purchases marijuana from a dealer runs the risk of perhaps getting busted, and it might deter him from doing so before getting it and then reselling it to kids. But now... You're allowing 21 and over to go buy it legally at a at a at a government-run dispensary, and then they can go and deal it to whoever they want, at whatever age they want. You just put more weed in the hands of more people and more kids than there ever were before. How is that a good thing, Representative Calendar? 
Well, I, I would disagree that it puts more in the hands of, of and in the hands of kids. It, it, it's a tightly regulated. Uh, and I also do want to re- real quick point out: it's not government run; it's government overseen. So it is okay. Um, Tomato, the, tomato, the, the, tomato, tomato, you're, you made a point of saying that, you know, it's not going to be available at truck stops or whatever. So, okay, so it's right. going to be more government uh, overse- overseen or regulated. But the point is, again, you know, kids who buy weed now from adults, again, there is, you know, there is uh, access that adults have that is illegal now, and they run the risk of getting busted every time they go to buy weed to sell it to kids. Now, those adults don't have to worry about that. Now they can go to one of these facilities, buy uh, the weed that has been legalized by your bill, and then take it and sell it to as many kids as they want, and they had no fear of, 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 of being busted when they made their purchases. Not when they made their purchases that they do it legally, but if they sell it to a minor, that's absolutely a crime uh, under our bill, and that will sure. be... But but that's already that's already a crime. That's already a crime. But you have eliminated one of the of the opportunities to stop this. The deterrence factor. Uh, when somebody goes to buy, they don't know if they're buying from a dealer or from somebody who's an undercover police officer. You take all of those things away, those protections away, those deterrents away from from the original purchase, and then the secondary distribution happens. Well, that that you certainly have a a, a point, and I, I respect your viewpoint. Under the scenario that exists now, though, uh, and this is a, a fear I have, having traveled to other cities and seen um, these street vendors, um, our citizens who are going to do that, who are doing that now, as you said, there's already it's already there. You don't know what they don't know what they're buying. They don't know the content of this. Under our bill, again, we're using the the current medical program and expanding it. You know the, the product is labeled. It's clear what you're getting. You know that it's the facilities that it's processed in have been inspected, that the product itself has been inspected, and that you're buying what you think you are buying. But and do you really gonna, think like, that that's going to stop street sales of other uh, uh, marijuana, you know, uh, with higher THC levels perhaps, that are different, or moreover, just undercut the prices? How much does it cost for three ounces in the, uh, in the, in the dispensary, the government-overseen uh, dispensary? How much does that cost? Well, on the street, I'm going to charge you 10 bucks less. You don't think that's going to uh, – that's not going to stop the street sale of marijuana. All this is going to do is put it in the hands of more people who were afraid to buy it before because it was illegal. And now it's legal. You're going to have the. You're going to have. I mean, with all due respect, you're you're going to have the same number of weed sellers and purchasers on the streets. And now you're going to add those who were afraid to buy it on the street who can now go and buy it from the stores. You're going to increase marijuana use, increase addiction, increase. Uh, traffic accidents because as you know there's no way to tell if somebody is high while driving because marijuana stays in your system for 30 days not a few hours like alcohol somebody crashes and uh, or is driving uh, unsafely while high they test them and they yeah well yeah sure i have marijuana in my blood i have thc in my blood i smoked three days ago that doesn't make me high now you know these things are there i just i cannot believe how irresponsible this bill is tell me why what's your what's your goal here our goal is to make sure that as this happens which again we're at 30 some states if the feds do to uh, take it off the the federally scheduled list uh, you're going to see um, you're going to see it unregulated and we're trying to head that off at the past and have a responsible approach to this uh, and I would I would 
certainly welcome. We don't have enough time today to get into the, the depth, but I'd be happy to, to sit down with you or provide you with statistics of the other states. We now have 30-some states that have legalized recreational use, and we've seen a wide range of responses. If there we've are states that legalize prostitution, are we going to go and, and greenlight that here too? Tax it? Because I did see one of the comments that you made was, hey, we're going to make a lot of money off of this. You didn't say it in those terms, but you did talk about the revenue generated, 10% tax. It's going to use for the general fund, and part of it's going to be used to treat the new new addicts that we are going to create because of this. I found that to be just a little bit weird. Uh, 10% of, I'm, I'm quoting here from the article, uh, where you talked about a 10% tax on it. Um, half of that would go to the general revenue fund, and the other half would go to law enforcement and medical or mental health and addiction treatment. So we're going to create new addicts, but then we're going to take the money we made off the sale of the drugs that addicted them to treat their addiction. Uh, Again, I'm looking for some sense. I'm looking for some rationale here, and I don't see it. Well, on the law enforcement, there is some technology that is being developed that that create better roadside tests. So that is something that uh, we want to make sure that as that technology becomes available in the market, there's indications it'll be here in the next eight to ten months, which is certainly before this bill will end up passed, uh, if it gets passed. And we want to make sure that law enforcement has the ability to purchase that equipment uh, at no additional burden to you know, the taxpayers of those jurisdictions. As far as the mental but, health... But there is, going to be, there is going to be a burden to the taxpayers. There is going to be, because somebody is going to have to pay the price for all of the new addiction that happens. Somebody's going to have to pay for the treatment. Somebody's going to have to pay for, obviously, the damage that is done, like I said, by new addicts. So people who lose their jobs because now they have access to weed and they can smoke all day. They're not going to work. You know the de- deleterious effects of marijuana addiction. You also know the numerous studies that show it is usually the first drug that somebody who moves on to hard drugs starts with i mean and we're saying well we can we can we can use some of the money to go and 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 buy better testing at roadside stops first of all that should be invested in anyway with regular funds to the police department because that's a matter of public safety we shouldn't need to get a whole bunch of other people addicted to weed in order to find or to pay for new tests to see if they're driving while they're using their weed do you see the circles that are that are being created here? I just don't understand the rationale behind this, other than it's being done in 37 other states. Well, that's <laughs> I'm not jumping off cliffs if 37 other states do, and I think that's what this is from a from a social perspective. Well, and you, you have to include the fact that we have a ballot initiative coming up that polling numbers will pass if it gets on. So it's it's likely to happen in Ohio, whether the legislature or us Republicans want it or not, whether we push it or not. So doesn't it make sense to try to do it in a responsible way to try to address some of the issues you brought? You bring up some absolutely valid concerns. So if this is a trend that's happening, and if there is a good chance it's going to happen in Ohio, whether we do something or not, isn't it the responsible thing to do to take the bull by the horns and set set up a process for it to work in a way that we can eliminate or at least reduce the risk that you're referring to. Doesn't that, isn't that the responsible thing to do? I think the responsible thing to do when I know something is wrong is to fight. 
You fight it. You don't accept it. You don't say, well, the other side might get it passed anyway. Your party is in control of the General Assembly. And if your party remains opposed to this, it won't pass. It won't get through. And that's the right thing to have happen here, to side with the other party that is more amenable to this and is looking forward to such things because you think it's inevitable. I just think is a it's a cowardly way out. I say that with no insult intended. I'm not calling you a coward. I'm saying it is it is when someone decides to not fight for what is right and to accede to what is wrong because they think it's inevitable. I just think that is a cowardly action. And and I think the people elected you and our Republican majority in the in the House to fight drug abuse, not to contribute to it. I think the responsible thing to do here is to fight. You know this is bad for kids. You know that weed kills brain cells, particularly in adolescence, and it affects them for the rest of their lives. This is going to put more legal weed in more adult hands and thus more opportunities for kids to buy uh, than, than ever before. It's bad. And I think the responsible thing to do would be to fight it. I'll give you the last word. Go ahead, sir. Okay, I appreciate it. I just want to want to stress that as a Republican, we're also for individual freedom and individual choice. You're right, it is bad for kids, and I think it's important that as this happens, we make sure that it is only adults who are legally eligible to, to purchase get it, that what we have is high quality. But I am a little bit of a libertarian, and I very much believe in in choice, uh, and I would love to have a longer dialogue with you, either on, on air or off air, to talk about the current medical research as far as Uh, addiction with marijuana and as far as uh, it is a gateway drug because there's a lot of studies out there that are uh, contradicting those old theories. Um, Let let me let me ask the libertarian part and I respect libertarianism I really do Um, however if you are truly a libertarian and you truly believe in freedom of choice and all of the things that you're describing here then you would have to apply the very same standard to other drugs so will you be introducing a drug to legalize methamphetamine? Will you be introducing a bill to, to legalize cocaine? Because if you're a libertarian, you believe in people's rights to make their own choices on what drugs they use. Why stop at marijuana, and what makes you think somebody else won't take it to the next level? Uh, there's already been attempts to take it to the next level. And again, that's why we're trying to take the bull by the horns and say this is what we're doing. This is how we're controlling it. This is how we're making sure those that... Um, <clears throat> are not the people that we want to have it, Stu- uh, kids, adolescents, making sure that we do everything we can to make sure it's not going there, that it's regulated, and also that that we know what we're buying. If someone is purchasing, they, they are not getting something that's laced with one of the drugs you just mentioned. No, I understand, but, but, but I, I still, you, you're, you're kind of you're dancing around the libertarian question. If you believe in the freedom to smoke, a, to use a drug because of libertarian beliefs and, and the belief in pure individual choice and freedom, how can you then pick and choose which drugs are okay for from a libertarian standpoint? I think there's a point where... where Things are regulated on the federal level to such a degree, uh, the things you mentioned, uh, that 
there is a distinction. I think there's a there's a common sense distinction there too. Uh, libertarians don't say you can go light your neighbor's house on fire. Well, we we certainly believe in the right to bear arms, but we don't believe in the right to shoot people with them for no reason. And so there, there those are, are bad limits. comparisons. Those are bad comparisons. The use of one drug by one person, smoking a joint versus smoking a rock of heroin. Uh, they're they're both smoking. They're both individual choices. They're not setting somebody else's house on fire. They're not shooting someone. It, that's a better comparison than to arson. Uh, so, so I, I think there's some some room for some thought there. That if we're going to do this on the basis of free choice and libertarianism, that uh, then what makes you stop one person from using their drug of choice, but allow another person to use their drug of choice? And I hope that's something you'll consider as you move forward. Uh, we're out of time here, Representative Jamie Callender. I appreciate you coming on to have the debate and the discussion. I hope you think long and hard on this, and I would love to talk to you again about it. I would love to continue the dialogue. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Appreciate you. All right, 1053, I'll be right back to wrap it. Ten fifty-eight. I've only got time for one call. It's going to be uh, Jay in Litchfield. Hey, Jay, go ahead. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. It's been a long time since we've spoken. I think this guy is a rhino legislative closet lobbyist. I bet he's invested someplace in the company that wants to promote this bill. And bet your money, bet your bottom dollar, this bill is being sponsored by some company or conglomerate of companies that want to legalize marijuana. And this guy is just in it as a closet lobbyist in the state legislature, helping to get this thing pushed forward. And if it's not him, it's somebody else. The the entire governmental structure in this country is corrupt. And there's nothing that can deny that. Look at anybody and everybody, with the exception of perhaps Jim Jordan, and a very select few number of other people. Jay, I've got to the, jump the in because the show's over not- in 10 seconds, but I want to say I you know, I, I can't make that accusation that he's owned by somebody or connected to the uh, supplier or whatever, but I do think it's a terrible idea and I uh, I think by the time our interview is over that he may be rethinking Enjoy it too. Thanks everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.